0: Whatever the cost may be We shall fight on the beaches We shall fight on the landing grounds We shall fight in the fields and in the streets We shall fight in the hills We shall never surrender! Now it might shock you to know that not all of my favorite movies involve superheroes flying around throwing hammers and shields and whatnot. This clip came from the movie The Darkest Hour, which is a brilliant movie about Winston Churchill as he leads his nation into World War II. Now this clip was a famous clip, you may have heard the speech before is famous, we'll fight him on the beaches, no surrender speech. And against incredibly high odds from outside and from inside at home, he basically willed Britain to victory. Now, it's been more than 70 years since the clouds of war have hovered over our nation. So I think we've lost something of the fear and the anxiety <coughs> excuse me that uh, war brings, which I'm super glad for. And something that the power of this kind of resolve can also bring. I mean, how his faith in victory could inspire people to just make it happen. But as we look into the conflict of our own lives, we're certainly aware that there is a lot going on. Now, I don't know if you have felt going through the Roman series and what kind of reaction all of this talk and of sin and faith and and law and righteousness, righteousness, all of this has had on you. I'm not sure how it's affected you. I hope that it's given you some hope that Jesus has rescued us, and, and that we have a hope for our future. But I also wonder if, maybe like me, it's kind of shone a spotlight a little bit on the sin and the rebellion that's still left in my life. I mean, last week we talked about dying to our sin, and, and sort of putting the old person to death, and, and rising up to a new life in Jesus, and pointing ourselves towards Him. and that. If we're dead to sin, why would we live in it any longer? All of that sort of stuff. But I don't even know if I made it through the end of the day before I messed up again. So if you're with me and you feel a little beat down by the power that sin seems to have in your life, even as we try to live for Jesus, take heart because we're in really good company. Have a listen to the way that Paul describes his life. He says that we know that the law or God's law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. but what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with myself. I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do, not, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, I find this law at work. I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to sin. Now, that was quite the convoluting passage there, wasn't it? I do not do, I want to do, I do not do. But I think that kind of reflects the way it works in our lives, doesn't it? We have this desire to do what God wants. We're like, we're going to do this. I'm going to live really good this week. I'm going to do the right things. I'm going to think the right things. I'm going to say the right things. I'm going to have the right attitudes. But then we just keep finding ourselves falling and slipping and falling again and again and again. And it's really, really difficult. This passage, I think, helps us to understand that even Paul, this this great writer of biblical books, this, this starter of churches, an apostle, he also struggled. We are not alone in this. Now, some people suggest that this is Paul talking about his life before he became a Christian, and there's some argument for that. But I think the language, the way he's in present tense, that he's talking about, I, I do not do what I want to do, suggests that he is describing this ongoing battle within with a sinful nature that still resides in him. I mean, he's delighting in God's law, which he probably wouldn't have been doing before he became a Christian, but... He wants to do the right thing, but still sin is right there with him. It's a great reminder that the war rages on. We have our own wars that we're dealing with in our own lives, don't we? I, for one, for example, turned 39 this year in January. And so I decided that I was going to embark on a Fit by 40 campaign. Now my foolishness was telling people that I was actually going to do this because that created some accountability. And yet I find myself again and again (laughs) slipping out of it. And I try and I do some exercise and I I try to eat right and all of this sort of stuff. And then the next week, it's just a shambles. And so I find myself, well, nearly in August and probably no further along than I was (laughs) in January. Now, obviously, this is a silly little example, but it just pictures the way that we deal with our lives, don't we? We try to do what God wants us to do, and yet we just find ourselves slipping and failing. And it can can create a sense of defeatism in us. I don't know if you've felt that. I know I have felt that. That we're just like, how am I supposed to? God is supposed to be helping me. I'm supposed to be dead to sin. And yet, it just seems like I keep failing. I keep losing battle after battle after battle. I want to encourage you because I believe that Paul wrote chapter 7, this, this passage, not only to express the difficulty that he was going through so we can commiserate with him, but it sets itself up at the end of chapter 7 as a comparison to the beginning of chapter 8. the end of chapter 7, he's talking about how he's just almost as defeated, like there's just there's so much difficulty still happening in his life. And then yet, at the beginning of the chapter 8, he shows this incredible victory. I want to read the first four verses. He says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, that is our sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sinful offering. And so he condemned, he defeated, he beat sin in the flesh, in our sinful nature, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. All right, so there's some really cool stuff in here because he's just, he's declaring victory. So even while we struggle and we may lose battle, we may lose battle, we have ultimately won the war. The sinful nature has lost its power over us because it can no longer lead us to death. This was the problem before we became a Christians, is that the sinful nature, the things that we do wrong, the rebellion that we have against God, the way that we want to live our own lives and be in charge of our own lives, all of that leads us down a path of eternal separation from God. That's not what we want. That's bad. But because of what Jesus did, if we choose to follow Him, that is no longer on the table. Even if we continue to lose battles, even if we continue to mess up, we are no longer under the punishment of that separation. So that is the ultimate win. But what I also like is that the way he is talking also is not just a one-time thing, but it is a continual ongoing process. And so I wanted to explain a couple of the terms here because I think this is really, really important. Because in the book of Romans, Paul really builds up this flesh versus spirit thing. Now the flesh is our, it's not just the the physical body, but it's representing our sinful nature. The way that we wanted to live our own lives. The way that we just sort of go off and, and do the things that we want, irregardless of what that does for God and whether he wants us to do it or not. So that's the sinful nature. We've talked a lot about that. The Spirit is God, and what He does, and He comes into our lives and leads us in the right place. But there's another factor here. There's another term that He uses, and that's the mind. And this is the center of control. Not just thinking, but willpower. And it's really interesting. In verse 5, He says, Those who live according to the flesh, to the sinful nature, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. And again, we sometimes feel like, well, I I mean, I mess up. I I do things wrong. I, I kind of go after these wrong things. So that means I'm in the sinful nature or I don't have the Spirit. This is not what he means. The mind is about the willpower. Where are we pointing ourselves? What are we trying to achieve in our lives? Is our mind driven by ourselves, by what we want, by the sinful nature, as it were, if that is, maybe we need to address that. But if it's, if it's guided by work, we want to follow Jesus, even if we make mistakes, even if we have issues, we will be fine. If we stick with Him, which is what living according to the Spirit means, stick with Jesus, follow Him, keep trying, regardless of the battle raging on in us, the ultimate victory is ours. We may lose the battle, but we will never lose the war. And so Paul brings it back around in verse 12. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die, as he's mentioned. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And it's this interesting idea, and we have an obligation then to continue the fight, to never wave the white flag. This is why I showed you that clip from Winston Churchill, because that is what we need to do. That is the attitude, the resolve that we need to conjure up inside of ourselves with the help of the Spirit, that we will never surrender. We may not always succeed in every battle, but we will continue in the faith. We will hold on. We will never wave the white flag. We will fight on the beaches. We will fight on the embankments, wherever. We will never surrender. But there's still more good news because Paul finishes out this section. He says, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. You see, this is, we're not fighting this fight alone. You see, the sinful nature, when we were following ourselves, when we were doing what we wanted to do, it created a slavery. We became slaves to sin. But when we follow God, it's different. We're not slaves. We're not servants. In some sense, we are. And a lot of, lot of different passages kind of talk about that because we give ourselves to Him. He is in control, and we do submit to Him as a servant would. But it is more than that. We want... God wants more than that for us. And so he has adopted us into his family. Listen to this. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, rather the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. Now that's an interesting phrase because in the Roman Empire that was a phrase of the highest form of adoption of a male heir. So they have the full status as a child. He brought about our adoption to sonship, and so by him we cry, Abba, Father. We come to him not as a master, not groveling on our knees, although certainly respect is important, but we approach him as a father. Dad, Daddy, you can help me. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are His children, which means it's not just about doing right and doing wrong. It's not just about making sure that we don't mess up so that we don't make Him angry. This is embedded and immersed in love. He loves. Us. He wants us to be part of His family. And yes, being part of His family means that we live a certain way, that we follow His values, because they're the best values for us. They help us live our best lives as His kids. They help us to live the full humanity that He wanted to give us when He first created us. We don't live in fear. We don't live in slavery. We don't live worrying every time something goes wrong or we mess up that we've separated ourselves from God. That is not how this works. We are children of God and He loves us. Alright, so what does this mean for us? How do, we, how do we apply this into our lives? I think it's we help each other stay in the fight. Hebrews has this beautiful passage where he says we should not give up meeting together as some people in their habit of doing, which is why we encourage you, come along to church because we want to find ways of spurring each other on, help each other, give each other a little boost, excuse me, so that we can help each other take our next step towards Jesus, spurring each other on to good deeds. How do we do that? Well, here's some ideas. One, join a small group, be part of a small group, participate. In your small group. I know it's easy. It's winter. It's hard to get out of the house and get out and go to places like that. But these are important places where we can engage with each other and help each other and spur each other on. Or just praying for each other. Even on a Sunday morning, we're going to have morning tea a little bit later on. This is a great chance. Go grab a couple of chairs, pray with someone, help them out. Or get together for a coffee and catch up. You know, oftentimes churches often look to the leaders and the pastors. They're the ones who need to do all of this sort of work, and that is important. And we do like to do that, and we're happy to do that when we're not, you know, super sick. Coffee. <laughs> the last thing that you can do is you can jump on board the reading plan, the Bible reading plan. Uh, we're about 150 days into that, and so there is a link in the Bible app that you can use uh, to come along and to read together through the New Testament in a year. And... Make comments and help spur each other on in that. All right. I want to pray for us as we finish our time today. Lord, I just thank you so much that you have given us a community of people to help each other. I thank you you've given us your words in the Bible to spur us on. I thank you, ultimately, you've given us yourself and your spirit to live in us, to guide us, to prod us in the right direction, and to encourage and comfort us. I ask, Lord, that we would become so aware of Your Spirit this week, and that You would show us how You are growing us closer to You. That as we continue to try and mess up, and you know, we we we'd go through the Romans seven thing. We we want we know what we want to do, but we don't do it, and we we just continually fail. Lord, help us to always remember that we are Your children. And while you do want us to continue trying, we're not gonna be blasé about the things that we're doing wrong. We do not need to own a sense of ongoing guilt. We we own a sense of conviction to do the right thing, but guilt and, and separation from you, this is not part of the plan anymore. And we thank you for that, for loving us as children. Help us to spur each other on, help us to never surrender, never wave that white flag, but continue to keep fighting for the faith, day after day, together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to come to a time of communion now, and this is just a great chance to thank God for the way that He continues to forgive us, continues to provide that path back into being in His family his adoption of us as kids. It was made possible because he gave his life for us. And he let himself be executed by the Romans and the Jewish leaders. He let himself take on all of the punishment for our rebellions. It's, it goes beyond words. I mean, there's no way of describing how amazing that is. But one thing we can do each week is we can take communion where we eat a little cracker and we drink a little juice to represent the body and the blood of Jesus. And we take them and we, we consume them as a way of saying we take on that forgiveness. We accept it. We appreciate it. And we can take some time to pray. Thank God for everything that he's done. If this is a chance that you want to take to maybe recommit to getting back into him, to, to living that life, to, to not waving that white flag, this is a great opportunity to do that. And also after the service, you can always find someone to pray with as well. So we're going to take communion, ushers are going to come forward, I'm going to quickly pray, and then we can take that. Lord, thank you so much that you have forgiven us. Honestly, this is what it's all about. For all of the things that we talk about, all of the things we teach about, all of the things that we do, the good things, the bad things, the right things, the wrong things, and we get caught up in the day-to-day life, but at the end of the day, this is what it's all about. You have invited us into your family. We are your kids. We are your sons and your daughters, treasured children of you. And you have gone so far to make that happen. You've let yourself die. You've let yourself be given all of our punishment just so that we could be part of your family. But we praise you and we thank you for that reality, for everything else that goes on in our week, Lord. May that thought, that realization, reign over all of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.